You know, something that, that I think is true for all of us uh, is that we usually spend a lot more thought on the past and the future rather than the present. You know, I think all of us do that. Um, I mean, and, and that starts pretty early, right? That's, that starts pretty early that we do that. Um, it doesn't take long for kids to start seeing some of the benefits or, or perks of being older, of getting older. I mean, uh, each year they start looking forward to becoming a little older and, and the next year of life. Like how many times, parents, have, have you heard from your child or your children, I can't wait till I'm older. And usually, usually that's, that's tied to uh, something that they have been told no you know, by you about. You know, they, they want to do something, they want to get something, and your answer is, no, not until you're older. And they say, oh, I can't wait till I'm older. And so it doesn't take long for that to happen. And they keep looking forward to that time when they are older to be able to, you know, to get something like that. And then as we do start to get older, once that happens, what do we do? We look back. We look back to the past. And, and we start looking at our past often with rose-colored glasses, I might add. And we start remembering the good old days, right? When everything was perfect. Everything was just great, as opposed to how it is now. And, and we wish that things were still similar as we reflect on that. So, so, so often that's what we do. We look forward and we look ahead, or we, we look to the past and what's happened. And I think that's often the way that we Christians approach what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus. We look back and we focus on the joy and the excitement of Christ rising again after all the darkness and, and violence of the cross. And, and we look ahead. You know, we look forward uh, to the hope and the promise of life after death when we'll be reunited with all of our loved ones who have gone on before us, both of which are tied to Christ's resurrection. And, and there's nothing wrong with either of those things. Okay, don't misunderstand me. There's, there's nothing wrong with having that kind of focus, looking back and, and being excited about the resurrection itself or looking ahead. Those are good things to think about and consider. But the perspective that I want to encourage you each and every one of you, to pursue and to keep in mind is that the resurrection life, which is powerful, meaningful, abundant life, resurrection life is available here and now. Every single day for all who are in Christ, for all who are his. That's the real hope of the resurrection. That's the real story that we need to remember and know and share it's that resurrection life, it's, it's here and it's now. It's not just in the past, it's not just in the future. So we need to understand and we need to remember that important fact because it's really, really easy to kind of just skip over that aspect of the resurrection. Just like Martha in the Bible did when her brother Lazarus died. And in, in John 11, we, we read that account um, Jesus had a very close relationship 
with Lazarus, with Mary, and with Martha. And any time he was in the vicinity, in the area, he would make sure that he would stop over there at Bethany and stay with them. He made a point to do it. I mean, that was, that was a, a place of rest for him. That was a place of renewal for him, a place of restoration. So they formed a really strong bond together. And it came about that Lazarus became, became ill, and it was a serious illness. It was a serious, significant sickness, and his death became imminent. So they sent word to Jesus and said, The one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick unto death. That means he, he's about to die. It won't be long. Please come. Now, what was in that, that request that Jesus come was not just so he could say his goodbyes and be there at Lazarus's final minutes and final breath. It was because they knew what Jesus could do. They had seen him heal all kinds of sickness. They had seen him overcome all kinds of obstacles. And so their thought, and their belief, rightly so, was, hey, if Jesus will come, Lazarus won't have to die because he loves Lazarus. He won't let him die. He wouldn't do that to us. So let's, let's call Jesus and have him come. So Jesus, sure enough, he gets the word. Lazarus, whom you love, is sick unto death. Come, please, come. But he looked at his disciples and he said, Our friend, our collective friend, Lazarus is sick. And the disciples are, are thinking, Okay, well, we're going to go see him. I mean, Lazarus is, is pretty close to Jesus. We better get ready to go. And Jesus says, No, hold, hold on. Hold on, we're, we're not going yet. And so he waits. Lazarus dies. He dies. Jesus wasn't there. And then after the death has already happened, then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay, let's go. Uh, Go where, Jesus? To Lazarus. Um, I thought he died. Jesus says, yeah, but he's not going to stay dead. And that's my paraphrase, of course. He comes to, to the house, and there Martha greets him, and she says, Lord, why weren't you here? Why didn't you show up? If you had been here, parentheses, when I asked you to be, my brother wouldn't have died. I know you would have prevented it. You would have healed him. Why did you do this? Why didn't you show up? Why did you allow Lazarus to die? And then Jesus, in just love and grace, you can, you can, just, you can hear it in the words. He says this, John eleven twenty three. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I, I know. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Again, parentheses. But I'm talking about now. Right now, he's dead. Yeah, I know he'll rise again sometime far off in the future, but what about now? He's still not with us anymore. What about now? Jesus said to her, this is just great. This is great. Jesus said to her, I am, showing his deity, his divinity, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just some event, Martha. It's not some future time. It's me. It's right in front of you, here and now. 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me in life will never die. In other words, death, physical death, won't hold them. Physical death will not have the final word. Physical death for all who are in Christ isn't the last word on the last page of the story of their physical life. Rather, it's just the beginning. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And my friends, that is the question that Jesus asks of every single one of us today. It's a question that's before you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that by believing in Jesus, death will not have victory over you? Do you believe it? And do you believe in the one who can give that to you, the only one who can give to you that promise, that hope? Do you believe this? See, the promise of life and victory isn't just tied to some far-off event. It's tied to Christ. It's tied to Christ because He is the resurrection and the life. And we need to remember and really believe that Christ didn't just rise and conquer death just so one day, far off, who knows when, we would experience the power of the resurrection only after we have physically died. But until then, we just have to you know, struggle through life and be at the mercy of whatever happens to us, powerless. No! No, no, no! That's not the case. That's not why Christ rose from the dead. It's not why he conquered death. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know or experience in a real way. I want to know or experience him and the power of his resurrection. That's in the present That's in day-to-day life. And Paul didn't have that desire unmet. Paul was able to, to know in a very full way the power of the resurrection of Christ. And what was available to him, Christian, it's available to you today too. It's not limited to Paul. You too can know him. You can know Jesus Christ, the living one, and the power of his resurrection now, presently, in and out of everyday life. So what that means for us today is Easter, Resurrection Day, it's really like a two-sided coin. That's what Easter is. It's a two-sided coin. On one side is future, physical resurrection. That's a fact. That's going to happen. And it's, far, it's not yet. It hasn't happened yet. It will one day. The resurrection of all who have died in Christ. The reuniting of all loved ones together. What a day that will be. And that's, that's going to happen. That's far off. That's one side of it. Physical, future, final resurrection. But on the other side, on the other side, there is current resurrection power in life available every day for every situation and every circumstance we face and go through. Isn't that good news? We're not just left to the whims of life. We're not just at the mercy of the chaos of what life often brings. We're not the victim of happenstance and random 
occurrence. No, we have the power of the living Christ available every single situation, every single circumstance, no matter what. So, all that to say, here's what's been given to you, Christian. Here's what's been given to you, made available to you as a direct result of Christ's resurrection that we celebrate here today and, God willing, every day. These are the direct results of the resurrection of our Savior. Three things, three significant things that I want to make sure you understand, that you believe, that you rejoice over, and that you take and apply to everyday life because that's what was intended by our Savior. Okay, So first thing, here we go. The first direct result from Christ's resurrection, the first thing that's available to you because he rose, the thing that's been given to you, is freedom from and power over sin. Freedom from and power over sin. That's really good news. Because we all, all of us, need that to be true. We need that kind of reality in our life. And we all want to experience that. I mean, think about how, how much we struggle with our sin, even though we are saved, even though we've been made new, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? And that's true. And that's true. But we still have this. this. Everybody hold up your arm. Everybody. Squeeze it. Give it a little pinch. See that? That's not just F-A-T. Okay? That's S-K-I-N. That's skin. And, and that skin is full of sin. Okay? This, this skin that we are, are clothed in, even though we are made new in Christ, it's still susceptible and it still chases after, and it still pursues, and it still hungers after sin. still does. And we struggle with it. If you don't struggle with your sin every day, then you need to ask yourself, are you really saved? Because to be a Christian in this life and in this world means you're going to still deal with that sin, that ugly, horrible sin. So in a way, you can be encouraged, in a way, that if you feel the weight of sin and, and it just keeps coming at you and you're discouraged under and, and you just struggle and you fight and you fight and you fight and you feel it all the time, guess what? That's good news. That's a marker of being saved. But we've got to remember that doesn't mean we're just kind of swept along with the current that whatever comes our way we have to just take and we have to deal with it and oh well, this is just the, the lot I have in life until Christ calls me home because I'm, I'm in this skin, I still have sin so I guess that's just how it's going to be. No, 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 no. Don't ever believe that. That's a lie of the enemy. Because just because we're susceptible to it, just because we struggle against it doesn't mean we're powerless over it. Okay? We are not powerless over it. We've been given freedom from and power over it, and it's available every single day, and it's up to us just to embrace that, to choose the power and the freedom that's been given to us already, and to apply that to our sin struggle. Look at what Romans chapter 6 has to say about this. Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. Romans 6, 1 through 14. Paul says this, What shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And in the previous chapter in five, in, in Romans 5, he, he, he expertly talked about the difference between death through Adam and sin through Adam and contrasting that with life and righteousness through Christ. And he, he talks about the grace that Christ brings. But he has to make sure we understand grace doesn't just give license to sin. That's what this chapter is about. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, because we have grace, does that mean we should just be able just to sin and sin and sin? No, not at all. Not at all. Look what he says, verse 2. By no means. Another way of saying that is, may God forbid it to be so. Shall we sin so that grace may increase? God forbid. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, how can we embrace that as our pattern of life? That's what he means. How can we live our life in active sin, those of us who have died to it? And the answer is we can't. You, you can't do that. We're not talking about, oh, I, man, I, I just I let down my guard, and I, I made the mistake, and... I gave in to sin here on this, this isolated occasion. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a life of sin, a life inundated by, a life saturated by, a life dominated by sin. He's saying that can't happen because those who are in Christ have died to sin. Look, look at what he says with that line of thought. He, he gives reason that that's true. Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's not talking about the literal waters of baptism, okay? That's not what he means by that here. He's talking about being united with Christ. The literal word here, the ancient Greek word here, means, means immersed by or, or covered over by, saturated by, and certainly the waters of baptism represent that, and that's what baptism is anyway. It's a picture. It's a signifying act that you are united with Christ. You are one with him. That's what he's talking about here in the use of the word baptized, okay? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, here's the reason that that happened, this is the purpose, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, which we celebrate today, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. There's victory, there's life. Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, which we all have been if we truly came to Christ. If you come to Christ and you give him your life, you surrender yourself to him, you receive him as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You died. You died to self. You died to sin. That's what Galatians 2.20 is all about. That's what happened. And Paul here says, so if that happened, if we are united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Verse 6, for we know, we know, not just we think, we guess, we, we hypothesize. That's not what he says here. We know that our old self, the old man, the old nature, that was dominated helplessly and hopelessly by sin, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, so that, here's the purpose, so that the body of sin, 
the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, the idea is slavery here. That's what sin forces on everyone who is outside of Christ. Before we come to Christ, all of us, every one of us, is a helpless, hopeless slave bound and shackled to sin in our sinful desires. And we can't escape it no matter how much we try or want to. It's helpless. We will always sin. We will always choose it. We will always be dominated by it. But Christ came and Christ died and more importantly, Christ rose again to give us freedom from that and to give us victory over it. Shared life, shared victory. That's what we're talking about here. Verse 8, he continues. Now, if we died with Christ, here's the results, okay? Because all that is true, because everything he just said all the way up to this point is true and it's fact. Here's the, the result. It's cause and effect. It's typical of Paul. He's brilliant in his, in his logic. He always is. He always says, here's, here's what's true, here's the fact, and here's what this means. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Hallelujah. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And here's where we come in. Here's the the direct application. You ready? Verse 11, in the same way, just like that, count or consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see that contrast? Can't miss it. Consider yourselves dead to sin just as Christ died, but alive to God just as he lives again. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, do not let, do not let. In other words, be determined. Choose. Absolutely be resolute. Do not let sin reign, rule, dominate in your mortal or physical body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather... There's a contrast again. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. That's our response. That's our response, our natural, logical, of course, response in all that we've been given. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Praise God. In and because of Christ. So, that's the first result we get from the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Freedom from and power over sin. And he's not done there. That would be enough. (laughs) That would be enough. But that's not it. We also receive new identity and new citizenship as a direct result of the resurrection of Christ. New identity and new citizenship. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Very similar line of thought here. As for you, Paul's writing to, to the believers, to the church, as for you, you were, isn't that great? You were, it's the past. You were, not you are. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, in case there was any question, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest... We were by nature, by very nature, by human nature, objects of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath on sin that we talked about last week that he put on Christ at the cross instead of on us. But we were objects of his wrath by default. Verse 4, another beautiful, wonderful contrast here. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. (laughs) He is so good. He is so good. Made us alive with Christ, even, even when we were dead in transgressions. No one like our Father. It is by grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ, and wait for it, wait for it, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. I mean, he didn't, this is what this means. He didn't just save us. He didn't just forgive us of our sins. He didn't just clean us up and make us new. He didn't just raise us up and then let us go. No, he raised us up and he seated us in the place of honor and shared glory with his son. That's what your father did for you, Christian. If you're in Christ, we just, we don't have really that much of an idea of all that we've been given in Christ. I mean, if we will think about it and and actually focus, it will just blow us away. Because it means that the perfect, holy, righteous God looked at us who were objects of his wrath and and therefore enemies of him, and and he loved us instead of judging us, and he sent his son to die for us in our place, which we deserved. And he gave the righteousness of his son to us and when Christ rose from the dead, he, ro- he, he raised us up with him and, and then elevated us to the place of shared honor and glory and victory with Jesus, none of which is ours by rights. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Verse 7, here's the reason for that. In order that... In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That means for all of eternity, we will always be held up as this example of the mercy and kindness and grace of God. If there is ever a question, is God good? Is God gracious? 
Is God merciful? All you have to do is stand in front of the person asking that and say, here I am. I'm living proof. We never need to look any farther than examples of the graciousness and kindness and mercy and love of our God than the mirror. That's enough. Because of all that God has done for us. All that God has made available to you and me in and through Jesus Christ. And then also in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, Paul says this. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. That's fact. It's what happened. It's, a, it's an absolute reality. Since you have been raised with Christ, here's what we do. Here's the, what we have to do in response to that. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, and see that's always how we're directed. We're always driven and directed by our heart and our mind, always. That's how we always respond. So Paul here is saying, first set your heart, your emotions, your will, your desires, on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind, that's your, your will and your thoughts and your intellect. Set your minds on things above, Not on earthly things. Why? Why would we do that, Paul? Why do we need to do that? Verse 3 tells us, for you died. There it is again. You see a theme here? (laughs) New life, new identity. For you died and your life, your physical life, is now hidden with Christ in God. (laughs) It's now hidden with Christ in God. Hmm. And verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, see, he's not just your Savior, he's not just your Lord, if you're his, if you're one with him, he is your life. He's the very essence of your life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, oh, oh, then you also will appear with him in glory. (laughs) That's what awaits you, Christian. That's what's yours because of the risen Christ. Oh, praise him. And then lastly, not only do we get new identity and new citizenship that no matter what we've done or what we were or where we're from, that it doesn't matter that he makes us all new and gives us a place to belong. Not only do we have that, not only do we have freedom from from power over sin, We also have victory over fear. Victory over fear. And that's such a good thing. Because we all have things we're we're consumed with fear over at one point or another. We're all able to be crushed under the weight of fear if we allow it. But we don't have to. We don't have to. We have victory over fear available to us. Romans chapter 8. Verses 31 through 35 is where we'll start. Romans 8, 31 through 35. What then shall we say in response to this? That's a good question in light of all we've talked about already. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, which, man... If there's ever any question about whether that's true or not, I guess you've been asleep this whole time. Because, yeah, I'd say he's for us. (laughs) Hello? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And and that's really saying who is able to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Who is he that is able to condemn? The answer is a big no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, in other words, even more importantly than the fact that he died, More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That means Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you, who rose from the dead for you, is also pleading for you at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you. He's pleading your case. He's asking the Father to give you strength and grace and blessing. And when the enemy, Satan, brings charge against you, which he does, and against me, Jesus is right there saying, uh-uh, 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 no, I don't think so. He's covered in my blood. She's covered in my blood. They've been made new in me. There is no charge against them. Mm. Verse 35. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's a pretty heavy list. Those are a lot of things there. Those are things rightly to be afraid of. I mean, it makes sense to to fear those things in that list, right? So that's a good question. Will will those things be able to separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. No! In all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one like the Savior we have. Risen, victorious, and sharing that life and that victory with us. That, that, my friends, that is the amazing reality of Easter. That's the amazing reality of Easter. And it, like everything else we've talked about in this series, unfair, is totally unfair to us. Everything we receive from the resurrection of Christ What I shared with you just now, and even more beyond what I shared, everything that we receive and get as a direct result of our Savior rising and then extending His victory in life to us is totally unfair to us because it's the complete opposite of what we deserve. It's the complete opposite of what we actually deserve. Which makes it that much sweeter and that much more incredible, right? So here's our response to all of this, and, and really, again, everything else we've talked about in the series. Here's what it all comes down to. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, and that means your whole self, your whole person, every corner of you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means continual, perpetual, not one and done, ongoing. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the way to really say thank you. This is the way to show gratitude. This is the way to to actually say, wow, look what you've done for me. How can I show my appreciation? Well, the way to show it is by offering and giving yourself every moment of every day to the one who did all this for you. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he, Jesus, died for all, so that those that he died and was raised again for would live for him and not for themselves. That's our response. That's the only response that is fitting. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads? Put all your distractions out of your mind and out of your heart. Just focus, please, just focus in in quiet for a minute or two. Listen, there's going to be people in the back, a couple people in the back ready ready and, and just waiting and willing to talk with you in response to what I'm going to ask you right now. You're here on Easter Sunday, and that's not an accident in any way. It's not a coincidence that you're here. It's not just because it's the one time of year that maybe you come to church, maybe you'll throw in Christmas. If that's you, please don't misunderstand. I'm glad you're here. I am, I am honored that you're here. And maybe that's what you thought was your reason in coming today. You know, it's Easter. Let's, let's put on our, our Easter clothing and let's go. Let's go to church. I mean, that, that's a good thing to do, right? And if that's what you thought was the reason that you came here, let me just clear that up with you right now. That may have been what was in your plans, but I believe and I know that the Holy Spirit is actually who brought you here. That he drew you here to this place and this time to hear from the word of God what you heard. And this is not just the first time. He's been pursuing you. He has been working in your heart and your mind. He has been drawing you here a little bit, there a little bit. He's been working through circumstances and situations. And it's all culminated in you being in this chair right now today. And the question that is before you is the question that we heard at the beginning of this message that Jesus asked his friend, Martha, do you believe this? That's really the only question that's before you. All of this that you just heard about the suffering, crucified Savior who did not stay dead, who rose again, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who offers his life and his victory to everyone who comes to him, Do you believe he is the only Savior? Do you believe you need him, you personally? 
Do you believe that he is your only hope? That he is the only way to know life and to have life here and now in this life and beyond? Do you believe this? Is there anyone at all here today, anyone, who would say, I have not given my life to Jesus yet. I've come in today and I, don't, I haven't come as a Christian. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But I do believe. I do believe. He is the one that I need. And I want him to be my Savior. Will you pray for me? That I would just let go of the excuses and let go of the reasons why I haven't come to him yet. And that I would surrender to him right now. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone who would say, yes, that's me. I'm not a Christian, but I believe I need to be. I believe I want to be. I believe Jesus is the only Savior, and I want him to be mine. Is there anyone at all who would say, yes, that's me? Anyone? Don't let the excuses and the reasons that have kept you from him keep you from him any longer. Because the one who is keeping you away from him, that is not circumstance or coincidence. That's an enemy, a real enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants your ruin. And he wants your eternal destruction. And if you leave this life without giving yourself to Christ then that's exactly what will happen. He will win. Don't let him. Let me ask again, is there anyone, anyone at all who would say, yes, that's me. I need to be saved today. Anybody at all? Okay, then let me ask you this. My fellow believer and brother and sister in Christ, Maybe you've been saved 30 years, 40 years. Maybe you've been saved three months, three days even. Do you really believe all that you've heard today about what Christ has brought to you through his resurrection is yours? Do you really believe that? And I would assume the answer is yes, of course. Well, then what difference is it making in your life? That's my next question. If you believe that, and if you're in Christ, then the answer would be yes. Of course I believe it. What difference is it making in your reality right now, today? Are you, not perfectly, because none of us can do that, but are you consistently, are you continually embracing and applying the freedom from and power over sin that you've been given through the resurrected Christ? Are you, are you applying that? Are you embracing that? Are you, are you embracing and living out the fact that you have a new identity and a new citizenship because of Christ? And are you, are you really walking out the fact that you have victory over fear? If not, if not, if, if you are just absolutely being inundated and just hammered by the waves of sin in your life and you you aren't seeing any victory or reprieve, it's not over. It's not the end. You can have that victory and that freedom every single moment of every single day. And the same is true of losing your identity. It doesn't mean that that's, that's over and done. You can realign yourself 
and, and reacquaint yourself with your true identity in and through Christ every moment. And you don't have to be crippled by fear. You can come out from under it. You can have freedom from that. If, if in any of these areas I describe your situation right now, I would love to just pray for you, my brother and my sister. Is there anybody who would say, yeah, that's me. I need prayer in, in one of these areas. Let me know by just slipping up your hand. And I would love to pray for you. Anybody at all? Anyone? I need victory over sin. It's just about to, it's just about to kill me. I need to remember my identity in Christ. I'm forgetting it. I need freedom from fear. It's, it's just really, it's just really getting me. So I'm gripped by it. Anyone that would say that's me? Thanks for your honesty. Anybody else? Love to pray for you. Anyone else? Okay, let's all join together in prayer as I, as I pray. Oh, Father, how good you are. And the song that we sing so often, as great of a song as it is, good, good, Father, it doesn't even come close to describing how good you are. Thank you so much for what you've given us, not just through the giving of your son and his death. That, that alone is, is just absolutely amazing. But the fact that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again in victory, and that you extended that victory, his victory to us. And as he rose from the dead and ascended to the place of honor and glory, you with, uh, you with him, you, you, you rose us. And you place us in the place of honor and glory, seated with him in the heavenlies. Thank you, Father. Oh, may we live in light of who you are and, and what we have from you. May we celebrate the resurrection, not just on Easter, but every moment of every day. May we remember that we've been made new in him. May we remember that we have life and victory here and now, not just far off. And help us by your spirit to apply that to every situation, every circumstance. I pray for those who did signify that they are struggling and battling with, with besetting sin or Forgetting who they are, not remembering every moment of every day who they are in Christ, or, or being gripped by fear from one thing or another. I, I pray by your Spirit that you would remind them of all they have because of Christ and because of his resurrection. Remind them that it's available to them every moment. Help them to choose to embrace that. Help all of us to, please, Father. And may we all live as ones who are redeemed, renewed, resurrected, that the world may see and wonder at how they too can experience it. It's in Jesus' amazing living name that I pray. Amen.